More Than a Movie is back with season two. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how to get comfortable with fear and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. People say, what are you afraid of, right? I'm afraid of fear because it's like, I want to confront anything in my life that feels challenging on those levels. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to today's edition of the Clay Travis and Buck Sexton Show podcast. Welcome in Monday edition, Clay Travis, Buck Sexton Show. I hope all of you had fantastic weekends and are ready to roll with us for the next five days of what promises to be a very, very consequential week as we continue to follow several different stories. What is going to happen in Israel with Hamas? When might the ground invasion begin? We will discuss to start the show here momentarily. Nine different members of the House of Representatives, the Republican caucus, have thrown their hats into the ring to potentially be the next Speaker of the House as the ongoing mess that exists inside of the House continues to build. The New York Times has apologized for believing Hamas when they said that a rocket struck a hospital and killed 500 people and uncritically parroting what is clearly uh, terrorist propaganda. We will discuss all that and more, plus in a much less serious fashion, Buck has a puppy, and I'm not sure if he's going to be able to handle a puppy as he potentially prepares for fatherhood going forward. We will discuss. But how's the puppy, by the way? She can handle it. Right off the top, what is the name of the puppy? Let's start with good news this week. You have a puppy. It's hard to be anti-puppy. Uh, what is the puppy's name? Ginger. She's very cute. Pictures are up at the website. What kind of dog is Ginger? An Australian Labradoodle. Okay. I don't, I remember we talked about this. That is a very specific breed. Pictures are up on the website. The website will now be flooded. So if you are feeling stressed by all of the hyper serious news, that is currently underway by us potentially having a full-grown uh, conflagration, a war breaking out on many fronts in the Mideast, while we got war in Europe, and who knows what China's going to do. If all that's got you down, the puppy is really cute. You can go check it out. Clayandbuck.com. Photos are up. Yes. Uh, all right, Buck, let's talk about the serious stuff now. But again, there are puppy pictures up if you need uh, relief from the serious uh, things that are going on. Things have gotten so bad. You know, you want to talk about disinformation, you want to talk about misinformation, people who are out there defending Hamas 
and uh, arguing that Israel is unjustified in their in their response have been incessant in their questioning of any report that has come down about the atrocities perpetrated by Hamas on the 1,400 Israelis who were slaughtered in their terror attack of October 7th. That drumbeat of criticism, like, I don't even know. I, I go in my mentions, Buck, and when I, when I said that 40, uh, kids were beheaded or whatever and there were, you know, b- bodies discarded, they, they, there are now people saying, well, their heads weren't chopped off till after they were already dead. Maybe their heads weren't fully severed. I'm, I'm thinking to myself, is this really the conversation? Remember, we had the reporter on who initially brought that news, which much of it has been confirmed. And regardless of the manner and method in which these young innocents met their demise, they shared some images, unfortunately, of babies that have been burned to death. I mean, the kids are dead, and this is a terror attack. And so the way that these uh, stories are being attacked is is super strange. But the Israeli government, yeah, Buck. No, I was going to say, the Israeli government has, has released unedited video of, and I've seen some of it, and I, I would tell everybody, uh, again, it, it's, you know, it, it's the kind of stuff that will haunt you, so I, I want everyone to be very clear. I'm, I'm not a big general, uh, generally, I'm not a content warning person. I think that, you know, adults can handle uh, the realities of the world and life around us as ugly and, and, and horrific as it can be. Uh, this goes to, the the worst kind of things imaginable, and it is on video. It's on video. It should be understood because Hamas wanted it on video. Yeah, uh, because they were celebrating this, which also goes to, um, you know, part of the part of the spasm of of uh, denial and and all the you know yes, there's all this anti-Semitism that we've seen that I think is a shock even to people that were aware that anti-Semitism was very much still a a global phenomenon and, and something that needs to be fought against. I think the depth of the anti-Semitism here in America, specifically in some of the institutions, has been, if not a shock, certainly a, well, a shock and a wake-up call. Um, but, Clay, th- there's also, I think, a moment here where the people who are uh, ideologically invested in the Palestinian cause are, are, are trying to, the reason they're, de- they're denying the reality of what happened here is that there is a moral clarity in this moment that exceeds even what we have seen in this conflict in the past. Uh, we know who the good guys are. We know who the bad guys are. Israel is the good guy, the IDF. Hamas is the bad guy. Um, and I know that can sound simplistic, but it's important to understand the most simple concepts here because there are a lot of people that are trying to confuse things and conflate things. What Israel is about to do, and there were hundreds of airstrikes in just the last few days in Gaza, there is a humanitarian um, corridor that has opened up in the south to get um, aid and supplies to the civilians uh, to some degree. Uh, but, Clay, this is the definition of a just war. What what Israel is about to do is the definition of a just war, if you look at just war theory, um, of justified conflict. And that's why the you see this artist's call for ceasefire? This, you see this? This is all these celebrities that are saying, oh, now it's time for a ceasefire. No, you, you can't have a ceasefire in the aftermath of, I mean, imagine if someone called for a ceasefire right after 9-11. That is what this is, basically, except it's yeah. for Israel instead of the United States. Um, I, I think that people can't actually psychologically, those who are 
you know, pro-Palestinian and it's part of their identity to be part, to be supporting the victimhood, uh, class here. Clay, I think that they can't psychologically accept that there's no coming back from this, that Hamas has to be destroyed. It, it, it's a cognitive dissonance, I think, in many ways, because so many people have been taught that there is good and evil, and they classify good and evil in this crazy, I think, for some of us who are older that didn't grow up in this sort of cultural zeitgeist of the moment. But this idea that if you are a colonizer, you are somehow guilty of everything. And if you have been colonized, you can get away with anything. And it is this basic construct that creates, if you're a white European of dis- white European descent, you are evil. Western civilization, which actually gave us virtually every bit of modern day progress in this retelling is actually a usurpation of minority rights and life but what it leads to buck is and and i I think this is all tied together they have to actually release these graphic videos in order to combat those who would say they did not exist and this is trey yanks uh who's been covering things this war in israel for fox news he was one of the journalists that watched these videos and buck you'll remember i think it was two weeks ago i shared the photos that the IDF, the Israeli Defense Force, put out to allow uh, people to be able to see these young children who were victimized. They just wanted to share examples of it because people were saying this wasn't true. Here is Trey Yanks describing what he saw. I do need to warn our viewers, what I am about to describe is incredibly graphic, but it gives new details on what took place two weeks ago. In the video, you see a Hamas militant. He is in a white cloth jumpsuit sitting across from an Israeli interrogator. In the video, he describes the preparation and coordination for this assault on southern Israel. He says commanders told them to step on the heads of civilians to behead them and do whatever they felt like. And he said, we became animals things that humans do not do. And when the interrogator asked him, what type of things did you do to these civilians after you killed them? He described them and we can't describe them to you because they are too graphic to explain on television. Clay, there's, there's no um, coming back from this for those who are Hamas sympathizers and those who will excuse anything for the Palestinian cause. Uh, this is the ultimate red line. And I think that's why you've seen, you know, there are big pro, big pro Palestinian protests in we London. We got a clip weekend. in Brooklyn. I was going to play this. I think cut six. They're in Brooklyn. Uh, listen to this. Clay, this is. This is a, a retreat, a literal retreat to the talking points here on this, uh, on this issue. The people who are, are, you know, pro-Palestinian and there's varying degrees of anti-Semitism that that comes along with depending on who we're talking about, what the group is. There's, they think that this is like the old days where there'd be an attack and then a reprisal and then, hey, maybe the UN can come in. There'll be some resolution. We'll figure something out. Offers of two states have been made numerous times. Hamas and the various Palestinian groups will, will not accept it. And uh, Israel decided it was just going to try to secure itself. 
and Israel pulled out of Gaza, and now you have the biggest loss of life of, I should say, the biggest murder of Jews since the Holocaust, and people who are on the Palestinian side of this equation think that somehow they can just go back to the way things were before, right? Like this oppressive Israeli entity, you know, the apartheid state, all, all this stuff, all the college campus rhetoric and the far left stuff that you see. No, I mean, Hamas has invite, has now with, with what it has done, uh, set in motion what must be a very, uh, thorough incursion into Gaza that is going to destroy Hamas entirely. There, there's no other way. And so all these calls for ceasefire, all this stuff, Clay, it, it's not, it's, it's absurd. It's actually, it's actually immoral. Totally. And what they're chanting, by the way, in Brooklyn, settlers, settlers, go back home. Uh, and again, it's this whole idea of colonizer. And, and I think a lot of our listeners even, because Buck, this is all, this whole idea of colonization has only really taken root in the last 25 years. I mean, I don't know when you were in college. And we both went to the East Coast for college. I don't remember this being any part of what I learned in any history course or any sort of, uh, and I, I, we both went to liberal colleges. It's not like we went to, you know, uh, Hillsdale where they're certainly not going to be teaching colonization, but this has really taken root. I think in the last generation, the last 20 some odd years, this didn't exist. It's a post 9-11 mindset that would not have been taught prior. Uh, I mean, I, I, the rhetoric about Israel as an apartheid state and all those things, um, I, my, I think my campus, especially because some of the surrounding schools is more, you were in DC and I think it was a little more rooted in reality. Uh, I was in the middle of the Pioneer Valley of Massachusetts and yeah. it was true campus lunacy. You remember, I, as I've said before on the show, they were not Amherst students. They were other colleges, but there was a flag burning within two weeks of 9-11, a mass flag burning outside of our main campus center. And the whole point was being made by those individuals, America got what it deserved. So yeah. this mindset, and it, and they're always leftists, they're always, and you know, they're all oh, it, it's because of the, the, you know, extermination of indigenous peoples in America or because of, they always have the same rationalizations for, um, justifying the extreme evil that we see, whether it's from Al Qaeda or from Hamas. What has fundamentally happened here, Clay, is on a moral plane, Hamas is indistinguishable from Al-Qaeda. Hamas is indistinguishable from ISIS. And all these people that are chanting and banging the drums and saying, oh, settlers in Israel and all this stuff, whatever, they they are living in a parallel universe where that conclusion is not what everyone is coming to, because that is the reality. Hamas is, as Netanyahu has said, same plane as ISIS, same plane as Al-Qaeda. And we know how we in America feel about ISIS and about Al-Qaeda, and the Israelis should feel the exact same way, and they do about Hamas. And that is the, this is not a, you know, they're not freedom fighters, Clay. You know, they're not, they're not trying to exert pressure to bring people to the table. They're a jihadist group bent on the extermination of the Jews, and they must be met with the full force of the IDF, and that is the end of it. I mean, that is where we are. No doubt. And also, Buck, if they were actually trying to fight for freedom, Maybe you would have gone after just military installations. Again, if you were trying to defend this as a war between civilized nations, that would be an argument you could make. They're having to release videos of young, innocent babies being massacred and moms and grandmas and kids 
in a way that, frankly, hasn't happened since the Holocaust. And I'll leave people with this thought, Buck, as you go to do the read. For much of my life, I've wondered, how in the world did anybody deny what happened in the Holocaust? For all of us living today, this is the deadliest day for Jews since the Holocaust, and guess what's happening? Many people out there are denying that it happened. We aren't yes. that far removed from the 1940s in many ways. Lines are open, 800-282-2882. Please give us a call, share your thoughts. Born from the tragedy of 9-11, the Tunnel to Towers Foundation has been delivering on its promise to do good and never forget the sacrifices of America's greatest heroes, heroes who put their lives on the line to protect our country and our communities. Heroes like Bristol, Connecticut Police Sergeant Dustin DeMonte. After responding to a domestic violence incident, he sustained fatal gunshot wounds. He left behind his expectant wife and two children. Thanks to the generosity of people like you, Tunnel to Towers paid the mortgage on the DeMonte family home, lifting a financial burden. As his loved ones mourned the decorated officer's loss, they welcomed a miracle, the child that he would never get to meet. So many families need your help. Please help America's heroes and their young families. Join Tunnel to Towers on its mission to do good in their honor. 95 cents out of every dollar you donate goes to their programs. Join both of us in donating $11 a month to Tunnel to Towers at T2T.org. That's T, the number two, T.org. Make an appointment with the truth. Tune in every day to the Clay Travis and Buck Sexton Show. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Reality Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're talking tea, we're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Here are some examples of what you'll hear from us on Rappaport's Reality Podcast. This is where we discuss all things reality TV, all things popular culture. And a little bit of... Rappaport's reality, the reality of bit. us. We're a figuring bit. out. And if we had been recording these last four or five days, Ooh. it, it would have been, Ooh, a, been the podcast juicy. would have taken a, a, a left turn. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. More Than a Movie is back with season two of the award-winning film podcast, and this time with a lot more movies. I'm your host, Alex Fumero, and each week I'm going to talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the OG spy kid, Alexa Penavega. You had Carlo Gugino, who's the coolest mom ever. You had Antonio, who's handsome, amazing, charismatic. And then Carvin and Juni. I felt like a lot of other kids felt like this could be me. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Every episode will feature interviews with the biggest actors, directors, writers, and producers behind your favorite films and tap into the history of Latinos in film. Listen to More Than a Movie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. On Purpose is dedicated to helping you be happier, healthier, and more healed. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how he got comfortable with fear, navigating the changes in relationships, and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. 
This conversation shows a never-seen-before side to Orlando Bloom and his unique life journey. I think we all struggle sometimes to really deeply believe that we are enough, that we're valued, that we're valuable. You know, we're imprinted by our parents from the age of zero to seven, right? Mm. I'm constantly trying to go like, how do I detach from my from this idea of what do, is that? Is that my baggage? I look like my baggage. I mean, I know. Oh, okay, that's mine. Let's unpack that. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Some of the cases of um, Palestinian solidarity and and just obvious anti-Semitism that have come up in the last uh, couple of weeks uh, have honestly just been jaw-dropping. I, I saw on Ann Coulter's Substack play, uh, she has a Substack that she writes every week, a column she writes every week, that uh, the black pre- quote the black president of New York University School of Law Student Bar Association Rina Workman uh, issued a statement about the attack in her weekly newsletter and vowed her unwavering and absolute solidarity with Palestinians in their resistance against oppression. Um, and I think that she has had her offer um, from a an elite law firm pulled. Like it, it, what, what, that's one thing I, I see here. So that was from a uh, Coulter Substack, but this is one thing you see people they're on the left. They've gotten so used to no consequences that on this issue, they're actually suffering consequences and they're being told that, or, you know, they're, they're finding this out for the first time that you can't just be a, a total psychopath on all issues. Yeah. The far left cancellations almost never occurred. And then this is why I thought the cultural significance of Bud Light was so consequential, because that was the first time when you really saw a brand destroy itself by going fully far left. And now you're starting to see, and I think a lot of people are going to sit back and say, wait a minute, what our our political opinions can have consequences in our life? Yeah, and I think there's a lot of debates. Mary Catherine Hamm has a good piece up on OutKick about how to respond to college kids making stupid decisions and what we should think about them having to bear those consequences. It's a really fascinating time. But suddenly, I bet cancel culture starts to fade, Buck, because the left is having to bear some of the brunt. Mike Lindell and all the people at Pillow know there's no place like home. That's why they're making great, unbelievable six-piece sets of incredible towels. They're calling them My Towels. Just $29.98 with our names Clay and Buck as the promo code. You can get the designer premium line for just 20 bucks more. To get the offer, go to MyPillow.com, click on the radio listener special square, enter your promo code, get 50% off in savings. That promo code, of course, Clay and Buck. If you don't want to go online, MyPillow.com, you can also call 800-792-3269. Again, it's a phenomenal offer, the MyTowel six-piece set. For just twenty nine ninety eight, you can get the premium line for just twenty bucks more. Go to mypillow.com, use the code Clay and Buck. Clay Travis and Buck Sexton on the front lines of truth. Welcome back in, Clay Travis, Buck Sexton show. A lot of you, by the way, uh want to weigh in uh on what we've been talking about so far. I think this is important, Buck, and I wanted to read some of this. The New York Times and I don't recall them doing this very often. It's certainly there. I mean, they got all of Russia collusion wrong. They got much of their COVID reporting wrong. 
They got everything surrounding Hunter Biden and the laptop wrong. All of those things, basically, they took the left-wing agenda on. They've, you guys all know they've gotten tons of their Trump reporting wrong. They formally apologized uh, for accepting as truth the claim that Hamas made that Israel had bombed a hospital in Gaza now, and I mean, that 500 people were dead as a result. In, in the formulation that I put out there before, and to be clear, I'm not the only one that has said this, Benjamin Netanyahu, many others feel the same way, but now that Hamas has elevated itself, or I should say degraded itself, but you know what I mean, now that Hamas is alongside the same category of evil um, that you have with Al-Qaeda and ISIS, imagine the New York Times running a headline, Al-Qaeda says U.S. bomb kills 500 civilians. Correct. That's where I think the New York Times has realized they have to backpedal a little bit. And to your point, they are very happy running with all kinds of half-truths and smears and all sorts of things at the New York Times. Uh, this though was too far even for them, which, which really says something. Um, and, uh, you know, Clay, today is also, uh, I see here today is the, it's 40 years since the bombing of the Marine barracks. Um, Jennifer Griffin shared this over from Fox News. The bombing of Marine bar- uh, Barracks in Beirut. This is where Hezbollah killed 220 Marines, 18 sailors, three U.S. soldiers, and 58 French troops. That was in a peacekeeping mission in 1983. We were there to try to keep the warring factions apart. Um, there's a, there are a lot of, I mean, first of all, it's just a, a horrible day for the, you know, United States and Allied, uh, servicemen who died there, but, a lot of people say that the modern era of jihadism that we are in in some ways, yeah, the 1979 seizure of hostages in, in, in uh, Tehran, but Hezbollah as an arm of the Iranians with this massive suicide bombing, it brought us into this new era of just, you know, try, effectively jihadism as this death cult. I want to read a couple of the lines from this apology for you, Buck, and for our audience out there, because I do think it's it's remarkable that all the news that's fit to print, the New York Times, which holds itself up as such an august organization, and we talked about last week, Wall Street Journal, New York Times, and the uh, Washington Post, three linchpins of, I think, American traditional journalism. And look, I love the Wall Street Journal. They get most things correct. They whiffed on this, too. I think everybody kind of copied everybody else. They had all very similar front-page newspaper headlines, and this is one of those times we're being an old well, man who actually buys the newspapers, as you saw me like carrying around and producer yes. Alley. I was having to find a place to go buy them in DC. You, Will Kane, and my dad are the only people I know who still <laughs> do old school newspapers. I remember when I used to work with Will for years. He was the same way. He'd he'd cross, he'd sit there at the table, cross his legs, and, and pull out the. Uh, well, by the way, in New York City, uh, I was carrying all this huge batch of newspapers, and this old guy stopped me on the street when I was just up in New York City, and he was like. You're the youngest man I've seen with a newspaper in a long day. It makes me feel good. Like, I'm paraphrasing him. But he was, like, praising me because he was an old guy, and he felt good to see me as a relatively young guy compared to him with an actual newspaper in my hand. And, you know, I, I think to your point about the almost the contagion effect that this kind of reporting can have right away, uh, for a place like the Wall Street Journal, based on all the other reporting that they've done on this issue recently and, and in general, they weren't rushing to create a moral equivalency with, but they also don't want to be 
delayed on a 500 as it turned out that the casualties were you know massively inflated from it and yes. you know, hit the parking lot the whole lot, story you know, was a lie the whole the, basically the whole thing yeah. was 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 absolute um you know it was it was just the a lie. definition of propaganda i mean yeah, it, it was it was war it was, was wartime yes. propaganda from from hamas but i think from the wall street journal if when they co- if they cover it too quickly it's because they don't want to be accused of being in the pocket of you know the IDF and Israel, right? The New York Times and some of these other entities, they covered it quickly because it was confirmation bias. Yes. Do you know what I mean? It, it, yeah. You can tell by the way it's covered, by the way they write the story. Some don't want to be, whoa, hold on. We're, we're just trying to report the facts. These are the facts right now. Hold on a second. Others pushed even further to see Israel is doing terrible things too, which as we know was a lie. And also think about this, everybody out there. If you want to trace the direction of journalism, I think in a social media era, there is a desperate fear by many large institutions from not having the exact same opinion as every other large institution. And so the willingness to distinguish yourself by doing something different has never been weaker in American life. And I think it extends beyond that to from institutions to individuals. I was talking, Buck, much less serious, uh, old school sports writers used to always want to have unique takes on a sporting event. And so if you read somebody in Chicago, they'd have a great newspaper writer. Uh, you know, Miami, uh, DC, New York, they'd all be different. And, and this guy who's an older guy in the business said he's seen everybody rush to have the exact same opinions because there's a fear of being called out on social media for having the wrong tonal take on something that goes viral and then you become the target. But let me read this apology. It's something for everybody out there to think about because I think it's infected all of our society. The early ver this is New York Times apology. The early versions of the coverage and the prominence it received in a headline news alert and social media channels relied too heavily on claims by Hamas and did not make clear those claims could not immediately be verified. The report left readers with an incorrect impression about what was known and how credible the account was. Given the sensitive nature of the news during a widening conflict and the prominent promotion it received, Times editors should have taken more care with the initial presentation and been more explicit about what information could be verified. Uh, and it says newsroom leaders continue to examine procedures basically to determine what additional safeguards may be warranted. What I would point to, Buck, is what you said. And I think this is true for everyone out there. Be very, very skeptical of stories that reinforce your preconceived notions of what the truth should be because you are more likely, and I think this is what happened in the New York Times newsroom, they would have never uncritically accepted the Trump White House putting out a statement like this. Right. It's, it's, it, this they, is con- there's a confirmation yes, bias correct. here that they believe that this kind of thing, um, could happen. And, and I think also, as I've said, um, all along here, there are a lot of, of, of sensitivities that, you know, the New York Times ha- has this, has this issue, right? There are the more mainstream, if you will, Democrats and a, look, I grew up in New York City, the New York Times until we switched over to the Wall Street Journal when I was probably college age was what was delivered to our yep. front door, you know, every day. Um, there are uh, a substantial number of Jewish subscribers to the New York Times. 
right? But there's also, there's also a left wing, you know, anti Israel contingent of New York Times readers. And so the Times, like the Democrat party in general right now, was really caught between these, you know, these two perceptions of what's going on right now and sort of the, so they tried to both sides it and say, boy, you know, and you're going to see a lot of this, I think, but there are bad people on both sides, right? That's going to be the play that they try to finesse. The problem is this is good and evil and Hamas is evil. (laughs) And that's the challenge they're in. They're, they're going to try to retreat to a posture. The New York Times and other left wing news organizations are going to try to retreat to a posture of neutrality on this issue. After four years of saying, well, we can't be neutral on Trump because, you know, he's a fascist and he's really evil. So we know the neutrality thing is, is they pick and choose, right? But they're going to try to retreat into this posture to some degree of neutrality on this issue. And I mean, I saw this Thomas Friedman column. You know, Thomas Friedman's most famous book is From Beirut to Jerusalem. When I was doing Middle East studies back at Amherst, you know, various Middle East courses I took, uh, you know, some of you know, because I've talked about it before. I mean, I was I was in my first week of Arabic class on 9-11, right? So it's this is something I studied in college. And, and Tom Friedman back then was uh, a voice that was much more prominent, much more people paid much more attention to him. And Clay, um, he wrote this op-ed. Did you see this one? This op-ed uh, that says Israel's about to make a huge mistake. And, and I just think, and, and I know what he says. He's saying, oh, but if they don't promise future two-state solution that it's going to Hamas is ISIS Tom it's it's go time for the IDF like I I don't know what he doesn't understand well actually I do know what he doesn't understand about this um but those kinds of positions on this like the big problem here it's what I've said along we saw this all all the time in the war on terror against al-Qaeda Clay the issue wasn't what they did to us the issue was our response to it and and it's the same thing here. It's like, um, the, you know, the the horrific mass murder sneak attack from Hamas. Let's let's let that pass for right now. They say let's call for a ceasefire and let's let cooler heads prevail. No, absolutely not. And Tom Friedman is sort of a part of that chorus right now, which I mean shouldn't be surprising to anybody, but it shows you where elite opinion is on this. And. Honestly, here's what I'm afraid of, Buck. I, I think we that, that Israel has waited. We've now come on, what are we, 16 days since the attack? And they still haven't gone into Gaza to actually root out the core evil of Hamas. And my concern is when they do go in, because Hamas has had a lot of time now to set up truly dastardly, plots yeah. and, and, and in devices that are going to take many Israeli lives in a way that I don't think they would have if they had gone in immediately right after the attack. We can get, we can spend more time in this maybe in the third hour, Clay, of the tactical realities, but the, the, I, I've really been re- looking into and, and thinking through the reasons for the delay. The quick version is, and I think we should come back to this maybe in the third hour, because I know we have Carol Markowitz with us next and then Bill O'Reilly with us in the next hour. Um, guests that I, I hope everyone will stick around and listen to. They'll have important things to say on this. There's the possibility of a two-front war opening up with Hezbollah in the north. That's one thing the Israelis are trying to prepare for. And then there's also the hostage situation, which there's negotiations, uh, we believe, negotiations underway to try to deal with. And there's the trying to limit the civilian casualties. So the reasons for the delay, just to be clear, are 
the you know largely largely based in the basic humanity of the Israeli state. Oh, I, I think I think they're doing their best to limit. My concern is the longer they wait to go in, the more dangerous it becomes, and the more public opinion moves against them, uh, which is something we'll talk about in the third hour. In the meantime, a lot of you out there want to preserve your family's memories, whether they're old photos, for instance. How many of you have old photos just stacked up in a shoebox? How many of your family members do? Uh, if you got a photo collection, Legacy Box has a big-time offer for you right now. They want to digitize all your photos onto digital files so they're preserved forever. And not only that, they're a lot easier to share with your friends and family. You can post them onto social media. You can easily distribute those old photos. And right now, they have got an incredible offer. You can get your family's photos professionally scanned for as low as seven cents a piece, 75% less than what other brands charge. And as the world's largest digitizer, Legacy Box has the equipment, know-how, and staff to digitize your entire collection of four-by-six photos, all of them. And right now, you can get 200 photos scanned for just nineteen ninety-five. Think about how incredible that is. 200 photos scanned for under 20 bucks. A great offer to get started with Legacy Box, company based here in my home state of Tennessee. They've been helping families digitize their family memories for a decade. Whether you have 200, whether you got 2,000, whether you got 20, they can do it all for you in a few weeks' time. Go to LegacyBox.com slash Clay. That's LegacyBox.com slash Clay. Clay and Buck 24-7. Subscribe today. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're talking tea, we're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Here are some examples of what you'll hear from us on Rappaport's Reality Podcast. This is where we discuss all things reality TV, all things popular culture. And a little bit of Rappaport's reality, the reality of bit. us. We're a figuring out. And if we had been recording these last four or five days, Ooh. it, it would have been, Ooh, a, been the podcast juicy. would have taken a, a, a left turn. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. More Than a Movie is back with season two of the award-winning film podcast, and this time with a lot more movies. I'm your host, Alex Fumero, and each week I'm going to talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the OG spy kid, Alexa Penavega. You had Carlo Gugino, who's the coolest mom ever. You had Antonio, who's handsome, amazing, charismatic. And then Carmen and Juni. I felt like a lot of other kids felt like this could be me. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Every episode will feature interviews with the biggest actors, directors, writers, and producers behind your favorite films and tap into the history of Latinos in film. Listen to More Than a Movie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. On Purpose is dedicated to helping you be happier, healthier, and more healed. 
This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how he got comfortable with fear, navigating the changes in relationships, and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. This conversation shows a never-seen-before side to Orlando Bloom and his unique life journey. I think we all struggle sometimes to really deeply believe that we are enough, that we're valued, that we're valuable. You know, we're imprinted by our parents from the age of zero to seven, right? Mm. I'm constantly trying to go like, how do I detach from my, this idea of what, do, is, that, is that my baggage? I look like my baggage. I mean, I know, oh, okay, that's mine. Let's unpack that. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, welcome back in, team. Playing Buck here, taking some of your emails and calls, and also setting you up uh, next for our friend uh, Carol Markowitz, who will be joining us here. She, of course, has the Carol Markowitz show. It's podcast in the Clay and Buck Network. And then at uh, 1.30 Eastern, so in the middle of the next hour for us here, we have Bill O'Reilly, obviously a lot to talk to Bill about with all of this. Um, and, uh, you know, Clay, we were discussing the, uh, some of the, you know, tactical realities and, and the challenges here. You know, what you're going to see is, I think the Israelis, um, uh, launch this, this military incursion and it's going to be very dense urban warfare. Um, the Israelis certainly know this terrain as well as they can without actually um, living there. I think a lot of what's going on now is intelligence collection about civilian infrastructure, hostages, where are they located, you know, what can be done. Um, but the, the thing for me that that still sticks out, I, I mentioned um, the possibility of of uh, Hezbollah, and this is where it's there's the humanitarian concerns that are slowing Israel down uh, in terms of the timeline. And then there's also Israel may be in a two front war here pretty quickly. Uh, Hezbollah has thousands and thousands of rockets that it could uh, start. There's already been some exchanges in the north, but do they have the personnel and the resources deployed to deal with Gaza appropriately in the south? And then will they also be able to handle the possibility of a Hezbollah escalation in the north? Those are some of the complicating factors, I think, here and 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 possible not just manpower, but resource issues. I mean, it, it takes a lot. You need a lot of, you know, a lot of, uh, iron, iron dome missiles to be able to fire. You need a lot of, uh, artillery shells to do counter battery fire. There's a lot that goes into the possibility of, of a two front conflict here. So these are some of the considerations. No doubt. And, uh, we're going to bring back, um, Carol Markowitz at the top of the next hour, Buck. And I, I read an interesting, comment i was reading a piece from barry weiss's crew and one line basically stuck out with me a lot of people went to bed on october 6th as liberals and woke up on october 7th and by the end of the day they were conservatives based on what happened to so many jewish people uh and we had this conversation i want to have a conversation with her about it too we opened up phone lines last week to take calls from jewish listeners in particular about what the impact not only of what happened in Israel has been, but in the way that everybody responded. And the fact that you've seen so many protests out there in favor of Hamas, uh, chanting awful slogans about Jewish people, I think it's stunned many. Um, and has it started to shake the fabric of what had traditionally been a left-wing alliance between 
Jewish voters and the Democrat Party? I think that's a really intriguing question to ask. So we'll dive into that and more uh, with Carol, who left New York for the free state of Florida, and I think is very happy about that choice. A lot of people have made that decision feeling uh, feeling very good about it, especially as you get deeper into or closer to, I should say, the winter months when it's really nice down here. Anyway, we're going to dive into more of this with Carol and then Bill O'Reilly. I, I, I got to read Killing the Witches, which is his latest book that's out. We'll talk My parents about. love it. They said there it's amazing. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos' picture was already up on the wall. Listen to More Than a Movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Reality Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast.